0: Hi everybody, this is Lee. I'm here with Jerry and Bob. We are One New Man Ministries. We're an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation between all Mm -hmm. believers in Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Uh, As Ephesians 2 says, but now, 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us. 17, so he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So today uh, we're going to, what are we going to be studying, Jerry? I know we're taking on the Shema and uh, the Trinity. So it's a good place to start for through him, Yeshua HaMashiach, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father.
1: Well, our Parsha portion extends all the way from Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23 through Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 11, there's a lot of ground in there to cover and there's no way we're gonna to get to it, but the, the pinnacle of it all, I guess you would say, is there in chapter six, verse four, where we have the Shema. And for all of you listening, the Shema is the watchword of the Jewish faith. It is the prayer of prayers, if you will. It is uh, said in the morning and the evening Uh, It's proscribed. It could be said far more times during the day, but an observant Jew will say the Shema at least twice a day. And we know it in English as, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, In Hebrew, it sounds like Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. It is... uh, The Greatest Commandment, because it goes on from that statement to say, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, It is picked up by Yeshua in the New Covenant. uh, And we can start there, maybe, in uh, Mark chapter 12, I think it is. Yes. And if you'd shout out that verse number for our audience. 28
0: it's uh, one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well he asked them which commandment is the first of all Jesus answered the first is Hear, O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these.
1: So the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is commandment 1A, according to Yeshua, and commandment 1B then is to love your neighbor as yourself. And what's beautiful about that is uh, it reflects the goal, if you will, of the two tables of the law. The first five commandments are our relationship towards God and Uh, Commandment number five is to honor your parents. And that is sort of still Godward directed because these are the people that God has placed in authority over you. And then the second table of the law, six through ten, talk about our relations with each other. And so that's kind of why Yeshua presents them as 1A and 1B. So to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is the greatest commandment, but the second one is just like it because now it reflects our love for those creatures made in the image of God. You know, James says, uh, how how can you say you love God when you curse your brother? Curse those who are made in God's image. Is that James or John? I don't recall. But that's the case. We can't say we love God if we aren't also loving God's creatures who are made in his image. So to to uh, talk about what the Shema, that first sentence, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is one of those dividing points, I think, between Jew and Gentile. Um, The wall of hostility may be built up around this in some ways. So, uh, Lee, you've talked about how this was a real stumbling block for you to finally come to faith. So maybe if we could hear that story, why, and then we can talk a little bit about unpacking this and why we now believe that God is one, yet God is this mysterious trinity where he remains one Godhead, as it's phrased in the New Covenant, and yet uh, three persons within that making the one God. We'll try and unpack that, Uh, but we want to say up front, this is the greatest mystery about God to try and Uh, put this together we'll read some things and try and get to the bottom of it
0: so I mean for me personally and maybe for other Jewish people who either have come to believe in Yeshua as the Messiah Jesus Christ and 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 this idea of the Trinity what does it mean you know how, how how does that reconcile with the lord is one um you know because what sets judaism apart is the belief that god is one like the commentary of the rabbis say here he is made known to us as almighty as eternal and now as one he is one because there is no other god than he but he is also one because he is wholly unlike anything else in existence. He is the sole and unique God, therefore to him alone it is right to pray and not to any being besides him. The belief that God is made up of several personalities such as the Christian belief in the Trinity is a departure from the pure conception of the unity of God Israel has throughout the ages rejected everything that marred or obscured the conception of pure monotheism it had given the world. And rather than abandon that pure monotheism, rather than admit any weakening of it, Jews were prepared to wander, to suffer, to die. So, I mean, you know, that's obviously Jewish rabbinic commentary. It's not, you know, necessarily, I'm not Agreeing with that's not my point of view. I'm just saying that's the stumbling block that a lot of Jews face when they try to wrap their mind around the Mm -hmm. Trinity.
1: Mm -hmm. So let me say, first of all, that it's not just Jewish people who have a problem with the Trinity. There are, according to any world religions class you take, there are three great monotheistic religions in the world. There's Judaism, there's Christianity, and there's Islam so it's not just Jews who stumble at the idea of a Trinity but uh, Muslims as well what I appreciated about what you just read though is the initial emphasis about how he is God alone and he is unique in his godliness I guess is is the word we have to use there but he is unique in all of existence Uh, there's there's the creator who's completely unique in his eternal existence in his mighty power um, and he is God alone the only God the one God which if you think about that at the surface level does not rule out the notion of the Trinity that while he is one God he could indeed be the three persons that the new covenant presents him as so I don't think even in that commentary there till they get to the part about uh why why they don't believe in the Trinity, that they actually attach some new ideas to the initial place where they started out. And the reason I think that's what what the rabbi said there is significant is because of the word echad that's used in the Shema. What what is Echad? What what does it mean when it says God is Echad? Right? So I did a little research <coughs> And the, uh, the word Echad does mean one. It can also signify uh, the same, uh, the single one. The, it can stand for ideas like first or each or once. In some of the translations of the Shema, that Deuteronomy 6.4, uh, when you look at a resource that shows multiple translations of of the same verse. Some of the uh, renderings have it, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Which if you think about the trajectory of Deuteronomy and what Moses is teaching, uh, the Lord your God, the Lord you shall have no other gods before me, he is God, he is Lord alone alone so the idea then that he is singularly God as opposed to anything else that would pretend to be God that would be lifted up by other people as gods No, Yahweh and we want to make that clear again we're talking about this personal name of of God when it says Adonai remember that Adonai is a verbal substitution for the actual name of God that great name that we've talked about so many times the Lord, the Lord, merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That lengthy name that God shows to Yeshua. So, so that <coughs> Yahweh, the Lord, is one. And even that is an interesting phrase because in Hebrew, what does it say? It says, Shema Yisrael, hear Israel, hear O Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, the Lord our God, Adonai Echad. The Lord one. There's actually no verb there. It, when you read uh, like the King James Version, it will say the Lord is one, and it will show you the word is in italics, meaning that that is a supplied word by the English translator. Mm-hmm. So that in the Hebrew, there's no actual verb here. It just says Yahweh one. Okay, so so that's kind of like a, a base starting point for the discussion. I think what is what is going on with the word, echad, and even within the, the the framing of that sentence, there's a this funny little grammatical issue, that there's no verb there. Just echad is a description given as a description of of God. Um, we supply the verb, but Yahweh echad, Adonai echad. So. Let me just jump down here to some things that suggest that uh, echad can mean the inclusion of a couple of things coming together to make one thing, okay? So that in Exodus 26.6 and Exodus 26.11 and in Exodus 36.13 if we turned to those places we would find how the various Curtains of the tabernacle were combined to make one unit, an echad. It became the mishkan echad, the one tabernacle. But it was made up of this diversity of pieces, Hmm. right? So in addition, uh, Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.24, two clearly distinct individuals, come together to make basar echad, one flesh. So there is this concept that is available in the term echad, one, to signify a diversity of items, properties, that make it one thing. Does that make sense? Okay, so, Another example is when uh, the sons of Shechem wanted to marry uh, the daughters of, of uh, Jacob, and they suggested that if we intermarry, we will become one people, echad. But clearly, diversity of uh, peoples coming together to make one new people. Okay, So there is the idea of diversity, or, or uh, unity, I mean, that, that we, we get several things together to make one new thing. Uh, on the other side of that, there is diversity also, because the word echad actually has a plural, echadim. <laughs> and the best place to see that is in um, Genesis 11.1, 1, and the, uh, the word there says the whole earth, the echad haaretz, the one earth, or I'm sorry, the whole earth uses the same language. Um, I don't have that in Hebrew in front of me. Um, anyway, it says, it says the whole earth used the same language and the same words. So we have echad, the same language, one language, but they used echadim, a diversity of words. So that within the word echad, you have a unity out of other parts so it can it can bring things together and at the same time it can reflect diversity within the one thing okay am I making
2: oh yeah any sense at all
1: here yes okay so so that's one of the key things we have to have in our minds as we talk about uh, the Shema is that this word Echad has a lot of flexibility that goes Mm -hmm. beyond just a monolithic one thing and nothing can you know even even if if we think about our our day to day situations, those of us who are married and have kids were one family, but we have several different people who go together to make up the one family, right?
2: Absolutely, Jerry. I heard a, a sermon in the in the ni- early '90s by Mike Hurt, and he compared this Trinity to water, and he says that water at room temperature is a liquid. Then if you heat it up, it becomes steam. If you cool it or chill it, it becomes ice. It's still water, Mm -hmm. but it's the the diversity that you're talking about and the one element.
1: Yeah, the problem with that illustration is they are all different things. if, if If you take the same body of water, it can only be liquid, it can only be gas, or it can only be solid at different times. It can't be all three at once. So... Other illustrations that people use is about an egg, which is made up of a shell, the white, and the yolk. At least you have one whole egg there. Or the other one that's pretty famous as an illustration is our government, which is one government made up of three branches, okay? Th- th- those are, those are, are, are ways to try and make the concept understandable to us, but we're, we're really trying to dig into a deep mystery, <laughs> a deep, deep mystery.
0: Um, and and um, I was just thinking about as you were talking about "echad" there in in John ten thirty, Jesus says the Father and I are one. He must have said "echad" mm-hmm. there.
1: In all likelihood, sure. Yeah. Well. He probably was speaking Aramaic, and my Aramaic is even worse than my Hebrew. So <laughs> well, I, mean. I don't know what what one is in Aramaic, but yes, he's certainly banking on that uh, underlying principle that he sees in the Shema. Yeah. For sure. And then, of course, you extend that to, to his prayer in John 17. He's saying not only the Father and He are one, but He is drawing us into the same oneness. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in the end, you know that's why I like Paul's use of marriage and the one flesh as the ultimate symbol for the oneness of God and the oneness of of Messiah with his people, because we have this this mystery uh, that that is being represented in all these different ways that ultimately point to to this triune God, okay um, talking still about the uh, oneness
0: idea. I mean, so, so let me ask you a clarifying question. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea, and in, in, in maybe it's, you know, not explicitly stated, but as a Jewish person who thinks as, you know, that God is our, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one in this separate and set-apart idea. And what you're saying, I hear you saying, is this echad isn't separate at all. It's, it's more like this unity or, you know, together... In diversity sort of idea.
1: Yeah, my point is that the word akkad has this flexibility. It can refer to a singularity, Mm -hmm. but it can also refer to one thing that is created by bringing different things together, Mm -hmm. like the tabernacle. And it can also show that within the one language there's diversity of words. So the unity and diversity within the unity are both there, in the words, depending upon the usage in the scripture, in the, you know, so, so all all three qualities of oneness are, are are encompassed in echad. Our our point as messianic believers is to simply say echad does not have to mean one single monolithic thing. Uh, and here are here are the reasons we say that because it's used to describe the tabernacle being one tabernacle, even though they brought together all these different curtains to form the one tabernacle that the man and the woman come together they're clearly two distinct units one ones but when they come together they're now one flesh Uh, an example that I didn't get to but I'll mention here is in Ezekiel the same idea is talked about Uh, Ezekiel is told to bring together two sticks and make them one okay and those two sticks uh, (laughs) <laughs> represent how what God is going to do when he brings the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom back together as one, Echad. Okay? The two will become one nation again. So we, well, let me put it this way. The New Covenant uh, is completely dedicated to the idea that God is one. Okay, Yeshua says God is one. Um, We just read in in Mark, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about one God. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about one God. Uh, James talks about uh, you believe in God, again, the idea of one God. Uh, That's where he says the devils believe it too and tremble. But the point is the, the new covenant does not come along and say, we're tossing out the idea of one God. Rather, the New Covenant uh, comes from a couple of different angles to point to the idea that we serve a God who is triune, who is these three persons who form one Godhead, is the traditional way to frame it. let me just read from a note that I have. The doctrine of the Trinity springs from the historical facts of redemption recorded and explained in the New Testament. Jesus prayed to his Father and taught his disciples to do the same, yet he convinced them that he was personally divine. So Jesus taught them that we pray to our, God in, to our Father in heaven, God, but you also will come to worship and pray to me. It's this idea that he convinced them that he also was divine. Of course, we see that. Uh, when Thomas puts his hands in, in Jesus' wounds and he says, My Lord and my God, right? So <clears throat> the uh, idea that it is right to uh, honor his divinity and offer him worship is basic to New Testament faith. And maybe we could look up a couple of these verses and uh, just, just to kind of show that we're not making this up. Um, so maybe uh Lee if you would look up John chapter 20 and verse 28 31 and Bob if you would maybe look up uh, Philippians 2 5 and 6 and I'll look up first Peter 3 15. okay so Lee have you got yours already yeah. John 20 John
0: 20 28 through 31. Or just 28?
1: John 28, uh, verse 28 through 31.
0: Okay. Thomas answered him, quote, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name.
1: Mm -hmm. And then the uh, Philippians passage. 2, 5,
2: and 6. It says, uh, make your own attitude of Jesus Christ, who in existing in the form of God did not consider himself equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage.
1: Right. So he was there with God. He didn't see his divine prerogatives as something to be grasped at all costs, but was willing to give it up and take on the form of a servant. So the New Testament consistently presents him in this divine uh, image, or maybe that's not the right word, in, 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 in a, as divine, a, as God. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here the idea is to assign the Lord, the title of the Lord, which is a specific Jewish title. Remember, these are Jewish authors writing this. And their framework when we say the Lord is, is a designation of the one true God. So the verses that I know, Lee, you always... Kind of like to reference in Hebrews. What does it say about uh, Yeshua in that first chapter of Hebrews about how he is the exact representation,
0: the exact imprint of the nature of God. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so what we ha- you know as as New Covenant <clears throat> Jewish people, we recognize that and maybe this gets into one of the tragedies of how the church diverged from its Jewish roots right because the initial people who wrote about Yeshua were all Jewish people all coming from that framework of God is one and yet they keep presenting what we now call Trinitarian ideas you know uh, the end of uh, Matthew when Jesus goes and says go into all the world baptizing them what does he say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we have the Trinity appearing at the baptism of Jesus the voice from heaven the Son of God and the Dove the Spirit coming down like a dove so this is the testimony of Jewish people about the God that they have grown up with right so what we want to say as new covenant followers of Yeshua as Jewish people is that this idea wasn't foreign to them now I would also have to say though that it was a revelation Mm -hmm. Uh, clearly God has to reveal this in our hearts but uh, what we want to avoid and this is the the arguments that some people uh, will make to us uh... let me read again from this this note that i had uh... basically the doctrine is that the unity of the one god is complex that is the unity of god is a complex unity like those several curtains coming together to make one tabernacle like those two sticks coming together to make one representing one nation like two Bodies, Adam and Eve coming together to make one flesh. We say that God is that those are symbolic or typological, whatever the right word there is, of of the nature of God. That God is a unity, but He is complex. All right. The three personal and the the theological word is subsistences. How how does God subsist? He subsists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the subsistence. Uh, They are co-equal and co-eternal centers of self-awareness, each being an I, that is the capital I, pronoun, in relation to the other two who are you. So that God has communion within himself. There's I and two, two others, two you's, so to speak. Each has the full divine essence of God. Specific existence belongs to God alone he is not one person who plays three separate roles and that's kinda like your water picture water can only be water at one time it can't be all three at one time Mm -hmm. right so there are some who say that God switches existences that there's that when when he came to earth there was no God in heaven he took on now being the Son, and then when Jesus ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down then there's no more Jesus or the father there's just Holy Spirit so there's this idea uh, of God uh, appearing in different modes okay but uh, we don't believe that we teach that there are three separate persons um, so he he is not three he is not one person playing three roles that's called modalism nor are there three gods who only seem to be one because they always act together this is called tritheism so we do not believe in three gods we believe in one God who subsists eternally as Father, Son, Holy Spirit and that each one is God with, in, in, in His essence, in all the divine rights and prerogatives and, and nature. Uh, we talk about the Holy Spirit uh, in, in many of the same ways that we talk about the, the, the Father and the Son. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit, right? Those, those kinds of things, you, you're dealing with God <laughs> when you do these things talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Trinitarian formula is there at the end of Corinthians, now the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit be upon you, right? So that the Jewish people who wrote the New Testament mm-hmm. are broadening out this notion of Echad Mm -hmm. from the Shema. Now, I also want to say that in my opinion, there are a couple of other places in the Old Covenant where we get hints that God exists in this fashion. And it doesn't happen a lot, but there are two prominent ones in in my mind. Okay? Uh, The first one is in Isaiah chapter 48. So if you want to turn and look there Isaiah chapter 48 is uh, part of the part of Isaiah Isaiah tends to divide neatly into two separate thematic thrusts Uh, chapters 1 to 39 are all about uh, Israel's failure and God's judgment that's going to come There are grace notes interspersed within there. uh, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 11, uh, Isaiah chapter 12, and some others. But for the most part, Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 are about how Israel has left off from following worshiping God. Then Isaiah chapter 40 to the end, uh, chapter 66, is what's called the Book of Comfort. And it opens with those great words, which happens to be our our Haftorah today, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort ye my people, says the Lord, for they have received from the Lord's hand double for all their sins. And so Isaiah chapter 40 is all about uh, how God is going to regather his people, how he's going to bring the messianic kingdom. Okay, and so chapter 48, uh, and I I should say we're not going to touch on it directly, but this book of comfort also includes Isaiah chapter 53, which is... Not read in most Jewish circles, but it is the great chapter of Messiah. It is the one that says that he was despised and rejected of men. All we like sheep have gone astray. That God's greatest comfort will be Messiah who will carry our sins. Right? So chapter 48 is in that context. If we read chapter 48, it is clearly the Lord talking to Israel. Hear this, O house of Jacob, called by the name of Israel, who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city, stay themselves on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name, the former things I declared of old. Clearly this is God talking. Only God can declare the former things, the things that happened. Only God can can talk about things that have not come to pass as if they will. So this is the setup for for uh, where, where we'll get to um, in verse 12 well let me let me let me let me uh, actually back up just a bit verse 9 for my name's sake I defer my anger for the sake of my praise I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off behold I have refined you but not as silver i have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake for my own sake I do it for how should my name be profaned my glory I will not give to another this is the Lord talking right so moving on into verse 12 listen to me O Jacob and Israel whom I called I am he I am the first and I am the last my hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens clearly we are talking about or or it is the Lord talking nobody else laid the foundation of the earth nobody else set heavens when I call to them they stand forth together assemble all of you and listen who among them has declared these things the Lord loves him he shall perform his purpose on Babylon and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans now this is a reference back to chapter 45 I think it is where God calls Cyrus by name before there was before, before there was a destruction of Jerusalem, before there was a Babylonian exile, long before there was uh, the Persians who would come and defeat the Babylonians under a guy named Cyrus, Isaiah is telling them, "This is what's going to happen," and this is what God's talking about, uh, how He can tell them things ahead of time that will come to pass so this is what again what he's talking about uh, these are things only the Lord can do this is the Lord speaking he shall perform his purpose on Babylon his arm shall be against the Chaldeans I even I have spoken and called him that is Cyrus I have called him I have brought him he will prosper in his way so this is the, the verse we're, 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 we're getting to so there's no doubt in anybody's mind who's talking The I and the me and the my and the mine in all of this is the Lord, Yahweh. Verse 16, Draw near to me and hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me. Well, that me sounds like the one who's been talking to us. Right? Mm -hmm. I, 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 and me should be in line with what we've been hearing. So the Lord God sent me. Wait a minute. Isn't it the Lord God who's talking? But the Lord God is also the me here. And this is what I'm saying. This, I think, is, is a hint at. Because it also says, now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So I think... It's a verse like this, you know how the, the the New Testament expands on on the Old Covenant, and I think this is the kind of place that an inspired writer would have had put in his mind, I guess I'd put it that way. That, wow, this is this is this is what what God was getting at when He spoke through Isaiah and said this, okay.
0: You know, um, Jesus, as far as my reading of the New Testament, always had a bright line between him and God, God the Father. He he never like like even Paul said in in the Philippians passage he read. He said. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God,
1: mm-hmm.
0: spirit, fully spirit, did not regard equality with God, maybe a had there, you know, oneness with God is something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of slave, being born in human likeness, <laughs> and then it says, therefore, and nine, therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So they're not, you know, that, that lordship is lordship over us. But there's, there's, I still see it as hierarchical that, you know, between the relationship like when Jesus said that I am in the Father as the Father is in me and and you know there is a unity there, if you want to say an echad there, but there he's always acknowledging who the Father is and who who's on top and who's underneath. He doesn't make himself you know, he 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 always gives glory to the Father. He always says, "It's to God be the glory." You know, and so I think that 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 the without talking about the Holy Spirit, we can't really understand the the like you go, you were talking about echad, the Achad nature the of of God and and his son through the Holy Spirit that that it's in that mm, as you would say one flesh or it's not flesh it's one spirit it's in that unity that that is where you know the idea of that God is a what three in one you know sort of takes root in my mind the way I try to get my mind around it which it's too big a concept for my mind to even express
1: Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's a uh, discussion about the nature of the Trinity and whether they are equal or subordinate Uh, is the son subordinate to the father Um, that's a huge huge topic hard to Hard to uh, unpack it all here. Um, it what, doesn't what matter the, because the, we're
0: subordinate yeah. to the Son, and you know he is our he is our High Priest,
1: right? And he's he's our mediator. So so here's here's something. Um, he gave him the name above every other name. Uh, here, even in Isaiah, my glory I will not give to another. So, we accept, though, as New Covenant people, that Jesus is, uh, shares in the Father's glory. Yeah. That, so, when God says on the one hand, I will not give it to another, how can Jesus have it? And then, how can Jesus invite us into it? I mean, there's the name above every other name. In, in Psalms, he says, I've exalted two things, my, my name and my word right so if Jesus has given the name above every other name and the name that's exalted is in the Psalms the name Yahweh the Lord that Jesus shares in this same name and I would say the Holy Spirit does too and so traditionally the Trinity has been understood as three persons co-equal uh, more recently there's been a drive towards understanding the Trinity as a social entity that has a hierarchy, okay? And there's a lot of hierarchical teaching that is around today. In the end, it's for theologians a lot deeper than I to kind of sort through what all that signifies uh, in a a day-to-day practical way. But I think it's, whether whether we we hold to the traditional co-equal idea or this more Recent hierarchical model, what we cannot let go in any possible way is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three distinct persons who form one God, who share equally together at least in the essence and nature of what that entity is. So there was one more point I wanted to make that's not sitting there on my brain ready to go.
0: Um, well, maybe uh, maybe, I,
1: maybe I'll think of it.
0: Can I, can I add something to mm-hmm. that? You know, to stop at the Shema after the first line is a big mistake because although our minds can't wrap ourselves around this idea of God the creator, and the creation represented in its pinnacle, in its fullness, by Yeshua mm-hmm. as as life, as pure life, as creation, and 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 the Holy Spirit as the as the means or the the the, the of of God's creation, right? Cre- but what it, we can't understand all that, but we can understand, "Thou shalt love." the lord thy god with all thy heart with all thy soul and all thy might and what jesus said in mark and love thy neighbors thyself so you know and and like you said you know like you attributed to james we're not sure if it's james or john if you can love your brother you know who you see how can you say right. you love god who you can't see so it's great to, as a Jewish person, to go, oh, I can't believe in, you know, the Trinity because the God is one. Well, you can believe in what the next line of the Shema is, which mm. is the essence of the teaching, right?
1: That was a great segue, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Way to get us out of the deep weeds. <clears throat> yes, so... We'll, we'll leave it for our listeners. Again, we said last week or the week before, uh, we're, we're here talking about Scripture. We want you to be like those uh, commendable Bereans that you read about in Acts 17, I think, uh, that they studied the Scriptures for themselves to see if these things were so. Uh, we maintain that uh, despite the fact that it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, that there is a reasonable case to be made because of the nature of the word echad. That the Jewish writers of the New Covenant didn't just completely flip out as they now present God in this Trinitarian vision, talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we'll just leave that part at that. And then, as Lee said, the Shema is a longer prayer that extends beyond that one verse. It includes and on your gates." So that's the first part of the Shema prayer. Uh, When you see a mezuzah, that little box that Jewish people uh, have on their doorposts or sometimes wear on a chain around their necks, there's a piece of parchment scroll in there with Hebrew writing. It contains these verses that we just read. And then it also contains um, Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 13 through 21, talking about if you will indeed obey my commands that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, he will give you the rain for your land. It goes on to talk about the blessings for being obedient. So in the first part of the Shema, he commands them to be obedient. He describes the ways in which they will be obedient about hearing this word and putting it into practice. And then the second part of the Shema, talks about the blessings uh, for following the teaching so we'll get to that when we get to that Parsha but for today um, loving the Lord your God with all your heart mind soul and strength so that's pretty comprehensive isn't it It is it so that gives us room to confess something (laughs) every day doesn't it Uh, I'm sure we all can be honest with ourselves and there was at least one time there today that a part of me was not loving the Lord with uh, my heart or my soul or all my strength. Do you want to get into any particulars about that or any objections to that comment? No. (laughs) I think that uh, the part that stands out to me... Well, there's there's so much. These words that I command you shall be on your heart. Um, one, of the, one of the commentaries uh, that I was reading said one way to understand this Hebrew construction about you shall is not only as a commandment but a promise that there is a day coming in the olam haba it's called the age to come uh, the age when Messiah rules that we indeed will Love the Lord with all our heart, and all our strength, and all our might. That we indeed will have those laws written on our heart. We know that uh, the problem that will keep recurring is that these laws are outside of their heart, right? That they require a circumcised heart in order to really fulfill the commandments. And that is what Yeshua comes to bring us, the new man, the new creation, And Paul then describes it in in Corinthians that the laws are now written not on stone tablets but on hearts of flesh. So they need to be in our heart. They need to be on our heart. And we talked about this last week then. How do we make that into a practice? And it does have to do with personal study and devotion to hearing, knowing, and doing what the Word says, right?
0: I think you know the <clears throat> I'm not sure that I guess we understand in our modern English what it means that the you know to be on your heart, but I think to me that means that this idea of confessing throughout the day you know that you and I were talking about driving over here that. You know, when we, when we, when we aren't walking in the spirit, when we are making an idol of ourselves, when it's about what, what I want, me, 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 I, you know, that's not keeping our love for God close to our heart. And that really is the whole purpose of what it means to deny ourselves you know take up our cross and follow yeshua is that we really are keeping god's word the love of god on our heart at all times and you're right we we don't walk that way <laughs> we don't even know what it means a lot of the times you
1: know
2: mm-hmm. but you know something when you do deny yourself and follow him that's when you're the happiest and most fulfilled you think about it you know you you don't focus on yourself you focus on him and others and he will direct those paths
1: mm-hmm right yeah the uh, the interesting word in this just for for fun here is uh, in my English Standard Version it says with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might and Uh, that word there might is based on a word that doesn't exactly mean strength it means extension Uh, like do this a lot Uh, actually is is the idea behind that word so it doesn't actually mean physical strength here but what it's talking about is the 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 completeness of our dedication to this idea that do it with all your Gusto maybe would be a good word here. (laughs) (laughs) This
0: this says a commentary. The rabbi says with the full concentration of feeling and power. One rabbinic explanation is, with whatever lot providence has assigned to thee, that is, love them in times of bliss and happiness, and in times of distress and misfortune.
1: Well, isn't that a beautiful idea? That I wonder if Paul had in his mind when he wrote to the Philippians. I have learned to be content. In whatever state i'm in good point right
2: you know i like this uh and and, and um verse 28 when jesus is talking to the scribe when jesus is talking to the scribes you know he was they were scribes were saying what's the most compa- more, most important commandment and he, thinking that he, jesus is going to tell them one of the ten mm-hmm. and jesus says no, you know, love the Lord your guide with all your heart, soul, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Both of them are based on love, mm-hmm. and which, which I, I like that part of it. But how, can, how comprehensive was that answer that Jesus gave to that scribe? Oh, <laughs>
1: entirely. And, and we should point out that chapter 6 of Deuteronomy in context follows the recitation of the Ten Commandments. Sure. So when he's talking about these words that I command you this day, that's, that's the group of words he was talking about. And I also should say that in, in uh, chapter 5, no, that's not where, where, is, where is, here we go. In chapter 4, verse 13, it says, He declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. Interesting, in Hebrew, the word commandments is mitzvot. But here, the ten are described as devarim, words, the ten words. And so these words that I speak to you shall be upon your heart. That's what he's talking about. This is the reference, the the background to the Shema is, as, as we pointed out, so there's the first table of the law, which is about my relationship to God. And the second table of the law, which is about my relationship with fellow human beings, so it's c- totally comprehensive. When Jesus says, "This is it: love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength." First table of the law: love the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Second table of the law.
2: You know, and I like when he was talking to the scribe. The scribe, the scribe must have thought. You know, he here here is Jesus must know, must know the law better than I do because he pulled both of those out from two different books. Mm-hmm. I think Leviticus is is the love your neighbor as yourself, right. and the other one's in Exodus. So, you know, Jesus obviously knew the word, and and how the scribe must have thought to himself, here I am, part of the Pharisee sect, and here somebody is teaching me outside the sect what, what these commandments mean.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know. I think about you you made the point I think last week Jerry that we have access to scripture and and our literacy rate is so high and you said the 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 ten words you know they couldn't read a might probably wasn't even written down but the ten words were etched in stone and you know when it says to keep them on your heart you know they those were the words they were supposed to keep in their heart and their mind and you know we get overwhelmed with words in our modern culture you know we have so much media and you know tv radio mm-hmm. you know just internet that you know words start to lose its significance but these 10 words are what it means to follow God and to love God, right? It's not just, you know, oh, I have a feeling of love towards God in my heart. Mm -hmm. There's, there's obedience. There's, you know, oh, you might have a feeling, but let's see how you walk. (laughs) Right.
1: So that's what he's saying, though, is, is we demonstrate our love for God by doing the things that God says to do. Amen. And this is exactly what Jesus said, if you love me you'll keep my commandments. commandments. So so but this love, that's a thing. You shall love. That's that's just a commandment. And you know, thinking about that at the at the human level, you you can't command people to love something if love is, is, is coming out of our, our emotions and desires, right? I have to be instructed about God in order to love him. Right. But it's it's a love that is in response to his love coming at me. And if I don't understand that, then it's impossible for me to really do this in return. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So when he says, you shall love the Lord, your God, it is framed first in the idea of God's love towards us. And then these 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 words, uh, you know, I'm thinking about sitting here. We talk about being in the word every day, and this is really saying these 10 words are so important that this is what you need to be talking about and teaching your children. These 10 words, if you'll follow them, will be righteousness and peace for you and your children to every generation. These 10 words, sum up, and Jesus crystallized it down to just two sentences that sum up, but this this is the heart of God's law. This is the heart of what God wants to communicate to humanity at this point. Now, of course, because we were humans, we couldn't do it, and we needed a Savior, but in the Savior, we are now given the heart renewed heart we're given the Holy Spirit and it's this law that is now written on my heart amen so that we can say along with Jesus and live out hopefully by the power of the Holy Spirit the same thing my two greatest commands as I go through my day are to love the Lord my God with all my heart mind soul and strength and to love my neighbor as myself and by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in me (laughs) that's what I'm gonna do
2: Very well put, yes. And and,
0: and when it says, when you were saying that it's written on our heart, that's where the faculty of the Holy Spirit of our conscience comes in. Mm -hmm. Because when we, you know, are coveting, it's not what's written on our heart. We, our conscience should convict us, hey, that's coveting. That's, you know, confess repent and and obey Mm -hmm. you know and and it is you know what is written on our heart yes to love the lord thy god with all thy heart with all thy soul thy might and love thy neighbor's thyself but i think the to keep those 10 words on our heart the 10 commandments you know and and as further Uh, What's the word? Exposited or whatever the word is Mm -hmm. by Jesus. You know, it's explained by Jesus that if you hate, that's murder. If you look at a woman with lust, that's adultery. I mean, to really get into the essence of what that means and to write that on our heart and then to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us when we stray, that's what part of walking in the Spirit is.
2: Hey Jerry, how 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 do we uh, to the listening audience out there, and if they want their their uh, to this to this words, these words we're talking about, to be written on their hearts and their spirit to come within them, how do they go about doing that?
1: Faith in Yeshua is the key to relationship with God. God has designated Yeshua as salvation that's what his name means we are separated from God by our sins but he promises that when we put our faith and hope in Yeshua and by that we mean not just some statements about him like he's the Son of God that's true he's the Savior of the world that's true he came to forgive sins that's true but those are statements about a real person and it's to know and understand that real person and put my confidence in Him, just like you put your confidence in the people around you today that you trust. That when they say something, you you can trust they're speaking truth to you. They're speaking in love to you. Uh, you can you can follow them confidently. That we need to understand Yeshua in that same way. When we talk about putting our faith in Jesus, we are talking about a real p- living person that speaks to us and when we hear him speak we hear him speak truth i think that was me getting too close to the mic Okay. we hear him speak truth and we hear him speak a truth that is life-changing and we hear him speak a life-changing truth that we are to follow we are to obey as we follow jesus what we're really doing is we're obeying the words that he has left us the words that the holy spirit has prompted the, the gospel writers and the letter writers of the New Testament to write down for our instruction the words that he gave to all of the old covenant authors. Uh, we hear those words and we hear Jesus speaking them to us. And because they come to us from Yeshua, we trust them because we trust him. So that's that's what we're talking about. And so Ephesians talks about when we place our faith in Yeshua, there's this whole complex of spiritual blessings that come to us. One of them, it says that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise so that when I put my faith in Yeshua, one of the blessings that happens immediately is that God sends his spirit to come and dwell in my heart. Paul calls me now, and everybody who believes in in Yeshua, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the residence of, of God in the Holy Spirit. God has put that seal on us, that mark that we belong to God, that is a seal. And so for anyone to fully comprehend what Scripture is teaching, it only comes to us through the Holy Spirit's revelation. Uh, Before we put our confidence in Yeshua, we might know a lot of the Bible, but we really don't understand what it's getting at. Those things are spiritual, and they're only understood by the spiritually minded, it says. So in order for us to really uh, appreciate all of the words that God has spoken, we require the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's first stage is bringing conviction. When the Holy Spirit comes, it says he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So listening audience, the first place is, uh, if you don't already know Yeshua, do you at least acknowledge that you are sinful, that you have departed in a variety of ways from these ten words? Do you understand that there is no way available for you to claw your way back to God once you've broken his law? And do you begin to see that only God could provide the solution that we need? The solution is salvation. Yeshua, whose name means salvation, is God's provision for you and for the sin that is separating you from God. And so if you are beginning to see that and beginning to understand that, I'm going to pray a prayer. And uh, if this is where you are and you pray it, uh, then we believe that God has brought you into his family. Amen. Father, I acknowledge to you that I am a sinner. Say this along with me if this is true about you. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And I acknowledge that I have no hope outside of the gift that you have given the gift of your son, Jesus, who died on a cross. For my sins father i am sorry for my sins and i want to be made a new person in jesus please send your holy spirit into me now that i may follow you all the days of my life amen. and i pray it in jesus name amen,
2: amen. You go, Jerry?
1: if you prayed that would you please let us know uh we have a uh, website OneNewManMinistries.org That's the number one NewManMinistries.org If you'd like to share this uh, teaching with your friends uh, it is available um, through all of your podcasts platforms as One New Man Ministries uh, For Lee and Bob I'm Jerry and we're thankful that you were here and we hope to uh, be back with you again next week God be with you Thanks for joining us